now. Yeah, you see, back in those days, you're talking about in the early days, around the 30s and like that, the, the population of the city of St. Louis was 821,000, and they had 2,000 police officers, and, and, and by 1939, they only had 19 black police officers. 19 black police officers. And by 19, when Jordan Chambers and all of them started fighting for this job, it's still sad, but by 1946, they had, they had 47 black police officers. Mm -hmm. This was a rise, but had nothing in, in nowhere compared to, to uh, the total amount of police officers. What they did, you see, you had white policemen controlling the whole, the destiny of the whole city of St. Louis. You, you couldn't put, the few black policemen they had, they couldn't even put them inside St. Louis, but you'd have white policemen all over North St. Louis where black people are, see. That was the problem. Matter of fact, they, they weren't allowed to arrest a white man until around 1938 when uh, Sergeant, Sergeant uh, Oliver Middlebrooks arrested one at Jefferson and Market. He said, ain't no nigga gonna lock me up. And he grabbed him by the collar and pulled him over to that box over there on the corner and called a wagon and he arrested him. Oliver Middlebrooks, Sergeant, he was the first one. And in those days, you see, it was up into the 50s before a black policeman, if he was promoted to a sergeant, he couldn't wear a uniform with the sergeant's stripes on. They would put him in detective bureau. See, uh, Tom Brooks, the first time a black person ever wore a uniform with the stripes on, when Tom Brooks was working during the Bellefront Parade down on Chester Street in 15. Then tell me about, before your son comes, tell, tell me about Ted McNeil. Ted McNeil. He was, he was the head he, of the... He was the, the vice... Brother of Sleeping Car vice Porters. National vice, international vice president of Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Mm -hmm. He was the first black U.S. senator. Mm -hmm. He was the first black president or, and only black to be president of the school of the police board in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Something else, and he was, he, he was into everything at all times. But what kind of person was he, and how beautiful. did he handle people? And oh, beautiful, beautiful. You know, he called me, when he made him president of the police board, he called me one day and asked me if I'd come by his house. He lived right up here at the apartment, 4400 on Linda. He told me to come by and bring my wife, and he just wanted to talk to me because he didn't, he knew very little about police work, and that was, that was a Monday I went by there, and he, you know, just wanted to get my opinion of what was going on, and he wanted to feel me out, to feel me out, to tell him what was really going on in police work, and I helped him every way I could, and he would always come by the office, the American office, and talk to me mm -hmm. about police problems, mm -hmm. and he had problems because he was black. They gave him hell every day. That's the reason he said, when I get through this term, I'm through. Never again. Never again. That was because uh, they have this police association, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have very few black officers, but they already did every, gave a black man hell every time they had, they had a chance. Talk to me a little bit about the color of skin in regards to the lightness. Um, did that matter in hiring of jobs in those days? 
in stores and places of that sort that did, you know, mm -hmm. they, if you had a light skin, they'd be glad to put you out front, you see, just like Jefferson Bank, the first people that they hired doing this thing was light, real light uh, mm -hmm. people, you know, you couldn't tell the difference whether they were white, light, white or black, you know, that's, that was the trend. Yeah, it's, it was kind of difficult. I mean, we're really looking here, actually, at, at, at two people who are, are light, David, David Grant. Dave Grant and T.D. McNeil, mm -hmm. I, I, I wouldn't care if they were both white as sheets. They were about as black as anybody ever. Right, saw. but I'm talking about what the public thought about. Public, those two, they never did. Mm -hmm. They know that. Now, I know some people. Sounds like those, that's, a, that's a real threesome right there. I know some. Powerful. I, they were real powerful there, but I know some people who were, were light like them who would often try to pass the white and get into the Fox Theater. Mm -hmm. But these two men were not in that group, you know. Dave and his wife could have passed easily for white, you know. Mm -hmm. But they never did. And, and, and it, a lot of, I was on, you know, I was on the elevator with Dave one time, went down to the court building and some white people made some kind of remark. I guess they didn't care about me, but I was kind of young and I'm there with Dave and they were talking, said some insulting remarks about some black people, you know. And when Dave stepped off the elevator, he made a remark that made all of them mad, you know. He was really, he was really burned up. And he just walked up, but he was just that way. He was bold as hell. Was he? He was bold. We'll never have. I mean, I don't. I don't see how in the, between ninety year two thousand we're going to have greater black men than these three. But we do have one missing here. That would be Fred Weathers. Mm -hmm. See, Fred should be here. Yeah. Fred, you got T.D. I Mac called here. him. He he's not. Uh, he doesn't want to have an interview. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Fred Wells is one of the persons, it was only about five, who were responsible for the theater actually opening up to black people in St. Louis. You had uh, Fred Wells was there, I mean, Fred Wells was there, and you had Ruth Maddie Wheeler, and Henry Wheeler. And, um, is she still alive, Ruth? No, no, she died. She died before father died. Oh. And, uh, uh, gosh, one woman from CORE, oh, her name was Ames, Billy Ames, Billy Ames. That was the meeting, and they allowed me to be there because I was always working with the group. And so we were there with the owner of the Fox Theater who owned about seven or eight other theaters, you know. Mm -hmm. What is this guy named who owned Edwin Arthur, Edwin mm -hmm. Arthur, Edwin Arthur, okay. So we were discussing this thing. So this, they had this preacher, this, uh, he asked, he asked Johnson from Third Baptist Church across the street. He was on the radio all the time preaching the gospel and stuff of that sort. But he was the main one who opposed blacks going into all of the theaters. So they brought this thing up. So what, what, what uh, Mr. Weather said was, well, let me explain to you about the theater that you have and about blacks going to them. He said, well, this would be an economic thing. He said, right now, you know, things are really tough. They've always been tough for black people. 
the person who's going to be raised in hell like that is not going to pay that price to get into the theater. So, and there would be no problems at all. So Edmund Arthur, he studied the thing out, and we sat there, and we talked and talked for a couple of hours. So he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to just give me about a month. I'm going to just open up theater, the outlying areas of theater. Everything work out, then I'll open up the box and everything else. So it worked out very smooth. So we opened the theaters up. But that, those were the people at the meeting. I named everyone who was mm -hmm. there. Everyone who was there, I named. And when we got downstairs and were walking to the corner of uh, Grand and Washington, uh, Mr. Uh, Weathers reached in his pocket and told Henry Wheel, he said, Say, Henry, you're doing a good good job. I know you need a little money. So he reached in his pocket and unfolded some money and gave it to him. And I thought that was real nice, you know, to help him out. Because mm -hmm. Henry Wheeler would pick a place. He wouldn't care if the temperature was zero, raining, or what. Never too hot, never too cold. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I drove a, well, Mr. Wheeler and I were just like this, because he worked with the Americans, they with me. And I said, well, that's real nice of him. He said, oh, he does that all the time. This is nothing unusual. That's nice. Danny, so many people, when you talk about the war, you talk about the blacks, they'll say, well, it opened up job opportunities. It really was, the, you know, it really was helpful. And I don't think I'm hearing that from you. No, you're not. The war? Yeah. The war didn't do anything for us because some casualties. We lost some good people fighting for something that they didn't benefit from. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's just like any other war. It's, what did the black people get out of that last one? The Persian Gulf. What did the black people get out of that? I don't know what anybody got I out of that. I don't know of any advancements that have been made. The only thing that I could say about uh, World War II was uh, the educational benefits you had. But you see, quite a few benefited, but you thousands who didn't. You took them farm boys in Alabama and Mississippi and Arkansas, they still didn't go to college. Their children didn't go to college. Their children's children haven't gone to college. That's the problem, isn't it? And the only way any race can progress is through education. If we don't have that, we're not going to make it. Year 2000 is going to be hell if we don't get it. Anything you'd like to comment on that we haven't talked about? No. Uh, this year, last year, I think we talked about everything that happened in the United States. <laughs> well, you're you're very nice to see me oh, again, yeah. <laughs> again, and I I do know that sometimes the questions may seem they don't bother me. All right, well, I'm I'm glad they don't because it's no, I'm always I'm glad to uh, discuss things like this, but. You know, Dr. Y Dr. Suggs and I, we talk about the educational process. You know, right now, uh, Bush, you know, he cut down on funding for education. They claim that they're giving billions and billions and like that. But it's really cut down from what it was 12 years ago. This is our problem. I was really lucky. See, my, my, I have, all of my kids went to college. My twins are scientists, you see. I have one who had a PhD in physics, another has a PhD in chemical engineering. He was the first black graduate from Washington University. Mm -hmm. That's the one who's going to pick me up because he, he's a professor at the University of Iowa. But you see, I was lucky because they 
finished school before this Bush Reagan group got in here and started putting a squeeze on it where you would, you know, you never have an opportunity to succeed in education. They just chopped everything back. So you don't even think the unions, I'm trying to go back to the war, you don't even think the war, the unions didn't do anything either? Well, you you had some unions that that are integrated that really weren't helpful. You take the musicians' union. You know, you have used to have uh, the, the black union, then you had the white musicians' union. But when they integrated, the white unions are the ones that get the job. The whites are the ones who getting the things like that. It's just like everything else. You know, mm-hmm. you had uh, the motion picture union. Used to have a black motion picture union. So. After it was integrated, you didn't have the black anymore. You integrated, but there damn few black engineers working in theater. They're white, you know. And the, uh, they're not just like on this, this, uh, this transit line they're building out here with all these millions of dollars. Light like rail? Light rail, and just, in, in 20 years' time, they won't get in enough money from pads on a light rail to pay for just one span of what they building. All that money. But you see very few blacks out there working. And they still can shovels and can that lumber like I was doing during World War One. I. I mean World War Two. What's gonna make it better? I don't know what's gonna make it better. You you need national leadership, you need you need uh state leadership, local leadership, you need black leadership. None of the country has leadership, Mr. Rogers. I I don't know why we think St. Louis should have. I don't think there's any in the white community. Do you think there's there's any leadership? There's no hope. You see, uh, here's another thing, too, you see. I'm I'm lucky that I'm more than lucky that a week from now I'll be 78 years old. And very few people are going to be living to be 78 from now on because they're going to either suffer from, nutri- from the lack of nutrition or get shot in the street or be homeless and like that. And, you get, and the way they, if you're a veteran or something like that and you go to a, a veteran's hospital, you're, you're going to fade away because you're not going to get the correct medical attention. Well, I'm 59 and you're going to be 78 and somehow, but maybe... I'll be 78 next Wednesday. Well, you've lived in the on best the of first. times, maybe? Huh? Maybe the best times are gone? I think they are. You know, it's just like I tell I've been lucky all the way through. When I bought my house 26 years ago, next month, and uh, my mortgage rate is five and a quarter percent. The next year after I bought my house, it jumped up to seven and eight percent like that. And when I put my kids in college, the little money up, they, they graduated, they went to the University of Dayton. And I didn't worry about that little money now. If you try to get a kid in the University of Dayton now, it, it's going to cost you more for a year than what you're going to make. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm talking about 1976, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's ridiculous. Let's, ho- let's hope something better comes along for everybody. Like what? The, the, the factors are all gone. You know, the factors mm-hmm. are gone. I, sometimes I feel like uh, we would be better off smelling the smoke from the Nigget Mile tobacco plant over there on Park Avenue or, or 
smelling the dust from the independent packing company or cry packing company or all these packing companies that had to be closed, the high packing company, all of them, don't have that anymore. They're all gone. Where are the people going to work? The Scotland and Steel, it's been gone for years. McLean Christie made bricks and all that. It's a, it's, it's a sad. It's really sad. When, whenever they take, you know, it's, it's a serious thing when you turn on television and they and they, like in Belleville, they talk about the different curricula they're gonna have to cut out and and then lay off so many teachers. And yeah, and and they got this problem, University City. Now they what? They're fighting over 27 cent tax. Well, you, you know, I think it's better for people. I, I'm complaining about my tax too. They raised mine, but I'm pay, uh, I feel like this. It, it's, it's cheaper to pay taxes than to pay $25,000, $30,000 a year for each person you have in the penitentiary. See, that's a very costly thing. If people don't work, people are going to steal and rob and kill you. I want to ask you something. We're way, we're way off of our subject, but we, you and I, I remember last time I couldn't let you go. I just kept talking yeah. to you. Mm -hmm. How do you feel, and hear me out for a minute, how do you feel about um, uh, vocational schools compulsory? I mean, that they have to be, you have to come out of school with a skill of some kind. Yeah, now, now. I'm not talking about separating the children who who don't go to college that do go to college. A person that comes out with a skill, if he can't go to college, then he may be able to work and save money to get himself to college if that's what he desires. Or he can yeah. work and open up his own business. Yeah. But I don't understand. That seems like such a simplified way of assuring that, and sometimes that turns kids on to reading, if they're reading about some kind of mechanical thing that they, they like. They love it. They love it. Yeah, but w what is such a... That's happening in St. Louis. They may, try they may try to forget it now with the shame of running for governor, but the first thing that Shamus did was close down the Kennedy Skills Center over in North St. Louis. And they was getting federal funding from that. They closed that down, and the kids were learning how to do sheet metal work and all kinds of work, and they were really interested. You know, the vocational training is the most interesting thing that I've ever had in my life. It seems to me, in fact, I had a man at my house last night, he was hanging a fixture, and he teaches in, over in, uh, oh, I can't think of it, but it's, he's white, and it's mostly a, a black school now on mm -hmm. the north side, uh, Normandy School mm -hmm. uh, District, and he teaches shop. And he said, they he said, I don't really have a lot of trouble because they, they come because they want to come to oh, my yeah, class. Oh, yeah, they love it. It, it doesn't, uh, there, was a, there was a little uh, articles in the paper about it about a, two months ago. There was an editorial, uh, and I wrote the woman's name down, and I called. It was some teacher, uh, head of the teacher's union or something, and I, she, I never got a call back. But I, I really am interested in this area, and I, I just don't understand why they can't do something about that. That's why that's why St. Louis is going to be lagging way behind St. Louis County. St. Louis County spent millions of dollars into, <coughs> into building a vocational school in North County and another one in South County. And they're two of the best in the country. 
They have computers, they have everything, elect electrical work, plumbing, aircraft, anything you name, they teach it. Diesel, all that they're teaching. St. Louis is doing nothing. And St. Louis County, the people out there, oh, matter of fact, I'm a resident. And glad of it. I don't care what people say about I'm jumping over my people in the black community because I'm down here working hard as hell myself trying to improve the condition. I live out there because it's Because you have a choice. Yeah, I have a choice. Well, I moved out there because uh, the living conditions are better. I have a big yard. I can walk down the street and jog all I want to at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and nobody would bother me. You know, my kids are safe going to school. You know, just like I talked to Lou Ransom, the, the assistant manager of Jet Magazine in Chicago. He wants to get out of there because his son has been beaten three times in the past two months. You know. Mm -hmm. So my sons haven't been beaten because they went to school there at St. Blaise and then they went to this uh, Met, which was the exclusive stop. They went there anyway, but they never had any problems. And so oh, that's right. You knew my young man that uh, Candy with me. You, you, you went to St. Blaise, is that what you said? St. Blaise, yeah. Oh, you, you knew um, the Weinzerolf, I believe. Yeah, they lived in the next block. That's sure. right. I, I know all of them. Mm -hmm. I saw the old man yesterday. He's looking kind of bad. I don't know what, what's really? happening to him. He's still got all them old junky cars out there in the street. <laughs> I know. He's, he's selling used cars, you know. I know. Yeah, you know, when I was treasuring the school, his wife was secretary. Yeah. Well, She's still working in there. They have a, they have a good son. They're older. But, as, but see, that's Catholic school, but I'm Methodist. Mm -hmm. I'm not Catholic. Yeah. So it's all right, but I don't, I, my beliefs are different from them. My wife and all my kids are Catholic. That's their business. Mr. Rogers, I hope you live to be a thousand. And I can interview you some more on <laughs> what other subjects. We'll have to think up some subjects. Well, you, yeah. Well, you went way back this time, quite a few. Yeah. That was sad that you bring up about this thing in Sykeston, you know, but I don't know. That's the way it is. And uh, the way things are working out down there in, in, in Arkansas, right off of the border of Missouri with the Ku Klux Klan out there preparing for riots. Somebody better wake up and do something. That's what do you think say. is going to be between the Jews and the blacks? Do you think they'll? I don't think there's really a, a basic I, problem. I hope not. I mean, it seems like it's good. they helped each other in the past. I, I don't know what's stirring this up. It, maybe it's other people that are stirring it up, do you think? Well, there there are people. Well, after all, now you you got a whole lot of people like the Ku Klux Klan, mm. who are against Jews and blacks. Understand right. that? You know, they may they may try to hide it, but you got a whole lot of groups like that who like that dissension. You know, you you get the Jews and the blacks fighting each other, uh, and then I think Jesse Jackson improved, and I think he feels kind of sorry for the things that he did, but he has a whole lot. Of, good Jewish friends too, just like I have a lot of good Jewish friends, you see. Matter of fact, you know, the, the person who bought this newspaper after we'd been in it for almost 50 years was a, was a Jewish person, was a, 
Gene Lewis, he's Jewish. Night on, 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 he bought the paper January 10th, 1981. And Dr. Suggs eventually bought it from him. And then he bought it, had three owners at N.A. Suites and then uh, Gene List and Dr. Suggs. Gene mm -hmm. didn't keep it but about a year. And he brought several Jewish people in here to work with me. But they always learned something working here. You know. I'm sure they did. I don't think we. I don't think we really have a problem. Well, I, I but I read about it. Don't you read about it? I live. My, my best neighbor is Jewish. But don't you read about it? It's in the paper. Yes, I know. But, uh, you know, a lot of newspapers like to stir up things too. Well, that's what I I said. I wonder if somebody else was stirring it up. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's not. I tell you what, they better not tell my son that because I live across. Uh, uh, Alvin Goldstein and his family live across the street from me, and and every time they have a party, they invite my son Jeffrey over there, and they have a ball. And Goldstein and Jeffrey, sometimes uh, they have to drag Jeff home. Well, maybe th maybe there's maybe there's hope for everything. Then we don't have to leave on such a down note. We we have we still have problems though. That's what I'm trying to say. I wrote a I wrote a column that never got in the paper, but you see, this this skinheads and the Ku Klux Klan and the Citizen Council, these people are out to, uh, to well, one thing about it, they, they feel that there are too many black people working and too many white people unemployed. This is what caused the riot in East St. Louis in 1917. And this is a dangerous situation. Anytime you have a depression, or something like this. They claim it a recession, but this is a depression. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have a situation like this, there's always somebody out there who wants to stir up and have trouble. You know, it's just like a the radio disc jockey over there in what is in Oregon or somewhere who was murdered a couple of years ago. You know, uh, Benny. As long as we're still off the subject, uh, if you had to vote now, who would you vote for? I couldn't answer it, so don't feel you have to. But do you have a feeling? It sure hell wouldn't be for Bush. No. No, I don't. I don't. I really don't feel sorry for these elderly people who are complaining now about Bush, because they knew from years back what had been happening with the Reagan administration, how they've been chopping into the elderly people and like that medical care, and they've been every time they talk. Republican now they talk about cutting back on uh, things like they they would like to save Social Security. They're afraid of the word, but they want to dig into it and things like that. And I I don't really feel sorry for these people who are suffering now, because they voted for the man and, and they're going to vote for him again. I would have I'd just rather take a chance on somebody else. I would. I know you're not. You're, you are of sound mind. I know you didn't think I'd be voting for Pat Buchanan. No, no, uh, I. Because if I vote for Pat Buchanan, I'd just soon be voting for oh, well George Wallace. That's a less, terrible, less terrible, terrible fear. That's, a, that's, that's something to really be concerned about. Well, let me explain to you something. I, I was thinking three or four months ago that this country is getting so far backwards and kind of getting to the mood of South Africa that the people in this country would be going out voting for Buchanan. Mm -hmm. Like 
they did in Louisiana for David Duke. See, I say, well, the 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 Bush and Reagan administration have have brought on such a mood that people just have turned on on blacks, Jews, and, and other minorities, and so they just want to turn. And I was so happy when they kicked the hell out of me in Georgia. That was it. If you can't win with his attitude in Georgia, he can't win anywhere. Well, you know, even besides what he is, there's something very wrong with this country that would even consider somebody who has never done anything but right. Uh, I mean, not not to belittle your profession, but uh, it doesn't exactly qualify one for running an entire country. And Did you know that when he was working for the Globe Democrat in 1962, that Somebody fired a shot into the Globe Democrat window up there where his office was. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's right. They, they tried to tell me it was Percy Green in action, but Percy Green wouldn't harm a fly. No, yeah, 1962. That man is dangerous with a pen. He is dangerous. Yeah, they got down there. He wants to repeal the civil rights laws and repeal the Voting Rights Act and all that. He said that in Georgia. I can't find any note for us to end on, so I guess I'm just going to let you go. What do you want to end on? Something. You can't find Something. An upbeat. Something to up. hope for. Well, uh, To hang our hats on. Well, let's not hang our hats on that whoever gets in, Whoever gets in, in the next administration or whoever the next leadership of this country is, we're going to have to uh, concentrate on higher education and fighting drugs and guns. They have to fight the drugs from the top men and stop fooling around with the small people. Uh, they got to get the, get the big men who are making the money from We them. went all the way to the Persian Gulf to stop that fool over there for what he was doing. But you got some fools in New York who are really running the drug racket. It's all over the world. Those and are the ones that don't get those. And it's very destructive. Very destructive. And I and, and I have I never was vaccinated when I was a kid because I'm afraid of a needle. Doctor stuck me in my arm and I, and I cried and raised so much hell. They never did vaccinate me. That's the honest God truth. So I can't understand why anybody could roll up their sleeve and get some heroin shot at it. See, people are going to have to educate. Somebody's going to have to be educated to the fact that they're ruining their lives. They, they, they can't have babies. Their babies are coming in deformed and everything that's on. It's really bad. So we got, we got I can end on a high note. Okay. I think you're very special. <laughs> Tell me about the town council. See my ride here? Oh. Is he here? Did you yeah. ride here? Mm -hmm. Okay, we won't do